So you are listening to 88.9 KUCI FM in Irvine. This is Tech Talk. My name is Kumar. I'm here with a uh, really interesting new interview, uh, Jed Brubacher. He is a PhD student or a PhD student, right? You're in the process of, all right, and the informatics, correct? Right. Could you give yourself just a quick uh, self-description? Sure. So I'm a PhD student in the informatics program here, and I um, predominantly focus on issues of digital identity and representation. So um, it's, those are issues such as, you know, Facebook and how do you present yourself to your friends, but also issues about how do we capture information about people and put them in databases and run computation on that. So, okay, so you've done some really interesting uh, research, and I've looked through some of your papers. Um, so, so let's start with this whole idea of First of all, death on the social network versus life on the social network. We should probably define the two terms. Sure, sure. So we've been doing some research, and we're, we're in the process of doing a multi-sided, multi-sided ethnography on the impact of death in social network sites. So we've been looking at MySpace and Facebook in particular, although there are others. And in general, these are applications that are designed to help capture aspects of our lives and help us share them with others. But to some extent, they haven't been designed to really handle what one might say is the most important thing in your life, which is when you die. Right. Um, Just briefly, could you define ethno... Sure, sure. An ethnography. So we're basically... Basically, we are talking to people and listening to their their experiences. Um, We... In the latest project, I've been interviewing people who have encountered um, representations or um, had their own direct experiences with death and um, Facebook. So this includes the example of a, of a woman whose cousin died um, but wasn't able to attend the funeral because it was across the country, and the role that Facebook played in her coming to terms with um, her cousin's death. But it also might just be the kind of random ways in which that friend you never quite unfriended from high school maybe pops up and there's some information about them, namely that they're dead, that you are then left to handle. Um. Okay, well, in that, okay, so moving on from there. So some of these stories that you've heard in in general, how is it that in, this information disseminates? Are they often directly, you are directly befriended with the person and therefore you find out what happens? Oh, yeah, how did I find the people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So obviously this is a somewhat sensitive topic. Um, and I haven't personally felt that it would be the most appropriate to go running around on Facebook and asking anyone who seems upset at the loss of their friend if they'd participate in my study. So um, largely we've been using what's called snowball sampling, which is uh, based on people we know who have had experiences uh, with them. And then we ask them who, if, if they're aware of people from their uh, social networks that might have had similar experiences, and you kind of feed out from there. Right. So when you are finding these people and you're looking at them, how is it that you dif- sort of distill what they're giving you into the more scientific knowledge that you need, like the uh, raw statistics and numbers? Sure. So this is a, this is a very new project, and it's in, a, uh, it's in a very new area that we don't actually know much about. So it can be really useful when you're in kind of a new field and a new area to employ as many kind of methods as you can. So we are doing interviews, and while we have specific questions that we're asking, we're all, we've also been really open to whatever the people want to be sharing with us. So, f- for example, when talking with one man about Facebook, also issues about instant messaging 
um, and uh, counts remaining in his um, AOL buddy list um, after the death after of death um, came out. Um, likewise, people talking about blogs and Flickr and other places in which you know accounts continue to exist after someone dies. However, we've also been juxtaposing that against um, some more quantitative descriptive statistics. Um, so in one of our papers that just got um, accepted to the conference on computer-supported cooperative work, we um, examined a little over 200,000 um, comments posted on to roughly over 1,300 dead profiles on MySpace. And we were able to do some data visualizations to show how and when people were um, posting on these deceased profiles. For example, when um, you die, that's going to be a dramatic spike in the number of comments that people post. Right. So let's talk a little bit about some, some of your findings. So let, let's go over that, in fact, that dramatic spike. What were some of the patterns you saw in postings on sites like Facebook and uh, MySpace primarily? So um, for the tech-minded in your audience, uh, it's a little bit easier due to privacy reasons to um, collect information off of uh, MySpace profiles because, in general, they are... Um, a little bit more public, uh, particularly given that a number of these people died in 2006, 2007. Um, but in terms of, um, so, mo so most of our um, quantitative analysis has been on MySpace rather than on uh, Facebook. We're looking forward to doing that in the future, but um, another day, another, another trial. But on MySpace, the things that we saw were um, a definite spike when someone um, dies. We, and then and then things are a little bit like you might expect. We, we tracked the frequency of posts across a calendar year, and we wanted to see when people were posting um, messages to the dead. We were wondering if perhaps things like Christmas and New Year's might be um, times in which people would be thinking more about their dead loved ones and then posting. And what we found is um, that generally speaking, as a proportion of total posts that we do see some interesting concentrations around holidays, but one was actually really kind of fun that ca caught me off guard. Compared to when the person was alive, dead people will receive, as a proportion of their total comments, more posts on the 4th of July. And originally, um, I had seen some soldiers in, um, in, the, in the data um, related to the war in Iraq and people memorializing um, those who had um, died while serving. And so I was wondering if it was related to something like that. But when I went in and I did the content analysis, so we got these statistics and then we said, you know, we, we're seeing these spikes and these patterns. Let's go look at the actual posts and see if we can't analyze what people are saying. And when I went and um, was looking at those posts around the 4th of July, it turns out that that happens to be this holiday when you get together with your family, you have a barbecue, you go watch the fireworks, and apparently you talk about who's not there. Interesting. So... Like in that particular situation, what were some of the kind of, uh, in terms of the comment spikes, what were the, what were the substance of the con comments, sure. more or less? Well, so um, there were a variety of different types of contents, but specific to, uh, uh, types of different comments, but specific to the 4th of July, um, there were a lot of messages. One of my favorites is from, is about, um, was about fireworks and um, a brother commenting to his deceased brother that he suspected the fireworks, that he had a really good view of them from up there, up there presumably being in heaven. That's one of the things you commented on in your paper, I think in the Death and the Social Network uh, paper, uh, on 
there was there is that kind of a concentration of a lot of the uh, removal, not, not the removal, but comments that seem to make it seem like the person was still there. Mm, yeah, that's true. So um, this talking to the dead online is actually not really a new phenomena. Um, there's a phenomenal researcher named Roberts who's actually at um, Cal State Long Beach who's been doing research on cyber memorials for you know, well over 10 years. And she did a study in 2004 that found that a lot of people, if they knew the deceased, will continue to write them, write messages addressed to the deceased um, post-mortem. So, what we, I mean, we saw that as well. Uh, something that's interesting about social network sites and social network site profiles rather than, um, say, a cyber memorial, which would be like on a separate site that's kind of like a shrine, um, is that these accounts weren't created to be memorials. In a sense, they're being repurposed by friends. Um, and the way I look at this is be, it's a way in which you get to continue to include that person in the context of your social, in your context of your social network. Um, one might also wonder under what conditions would you delete them from your list of friends. And so in that sense, are we talking about like on Facebook it would be something like a fan page or a group page more or no, less? No, actually, um, while those exist as well, um, there certainly are Facebook groups that are uh, memorial that are for memorializing the dead. Most of the time, um, our research is predominantly focused on when your profile that you had um, continues to exist even though you don't. So what we're seeing is people descending on profiles and writing comments to the deceased. And during some of our interviews, users of these spaces think about these profiles as still belonging to that person, even though they're no longer alive. Like, symbolically, they're still theirs. I see. Um, in that, when you see these users repurposing them, like, in, do friends actually go in and log into the account and... Because I know there is, or, or from what I understand, there are certain circumstances where people can find passwords or there's an auto-login feature, and accounts can essentially be literally taken over and people can post status updates and what have you. How often does that happen as opposed to uh, the profile pages simply becoming like a shrine memorial? You know, this is a really good question, and it's something that we... I can't give you a number. I don't know a frequency... But it raises an interesting question about what happens to any of our accounts once we die. Um, you, be it you know something as simple as a LinkedIn account and maybe you don't care, or maybe perhaps your personal blog. Um, what we've heard a number of stories um, that involve, we, we actually call these people grave tenders, the people who take over the account and um, start maintaining it. Um, sometimes these people are just logging in to delete the spam uh, sometimes they, um, they some, but sometimes they do post messages as well. In our latest interviews, this seems to happen most commonly when the person who's dead had a chronic um, or terminal illness. And so at some point during their time in the hospital, in the cases we have, it was a sibling would take over the, uh, th the account and typically, it was a really convenient um, communication medium for giving updates about uh, how their illness was progressing. So in the scenario of one woman, uh, her sister took over the account and then actually friended all of her friends from all of the people who were listed in her class year at, from high school. And the sister wasn't really concerned about 
whether they would add or not. She just wanted to invite as many people in to be her friends so that when she was doing these status updates about her sister, um, who I believe was dying of cancer, uh, that they'd be able to get that kind of information. Right. So actually, would you mind sharing some of the more unique stories that you found? Because I imagine with all the research you've done, there must be a few that stand out to you. Um, it's kind of, it, it, it's an interesting thing to research because there, there are many stories and some of them are really funny in an, an uncomfortable way, but some of them are also really deeply touching. Uh, so it's actually been a challenge for me as a researcher to find a balance between respecting what's going on while at the same time initially being attracted to it because frankly, it's just weird. <laughs> um, and actually, this kind of weirdness is something that a lot of um, a lot of the people we've interviewed have talked about. They find these posts showing up is they're jarring, you know, between a lol cat and a YouTube video. All of a sudden, there's some notification about someone, you know, telling a friend to rest in peace. So this can be really jarring. Um, as for uh, as for specific stories, a lot of uh, a lot of the stories have to do with what people want to have happen with the accounts or don't want to have happen with the accounts and around issues actually that have to deal with identity. So after someone dies, they can't really log into their Facebook account anymore. They can't really um, update things, but other people can. And so there were a lot of questions um, from our participants about what it was appropriate to say and for whom. For example, Christina was one of our participants who was talking about um, was talking about feeling like a voyeur. She was saying that she kept seeing these status messages from um, the sister, a sister of the deceased that that felt really intrusive to her. She felt like she shouldn't be like witnessing someone's pain in the way that she was. And so eventually she actually ended up unfriending them because she didn't um, know she didn't want to have to encounter that anymore. Um, Perhaps a more wacky story, and um, certainly a little sensational, is in one case, one of these grave tenders, uh, a sister who took over the account of her brother who had died of cancer. After a while, well, as of right now, I, I think the brother's been dead for about five months. And at some, well, she, during, during his time in the hospital, she was posting um, status updates about, about his health. But a little while after he died, she started posting messages as him. And it becomes a very strange thing, even if you're not trying to be that person, like their avatar sits right next to whatever that status update is. And so there's a little bit of confusion in that. But in this particular case, uh, she actually started impersonating him. So there would be messages like, I'm looking down on my nephew who's going you know, out west for college, be strong young man. And very, these are very strange messages, um, particularly when the people participating in the space pr presumably know that the that um, this man is dead. Do you find that there's a pattern in death where certain people move away from certain friends? Like there'll be certain friends that uh, remove from the friend list, and then other friends who add on. So I don't have um, I don't have uh, specific information about adding friends or um, or removing friends, although um, when there is a grave tender, 
um, people might friend that individual in the grape. That's actually a, an important function of a grape tender is to um, accept the friendship requests from other people who maybe joined Facebook a little bit later. Now you can imagine if there's not a grave tender that then something like a Facebook memorial group becomes a little bit uh, more efficient. So there's an administrator and or people can just set it up so that anyone can add, add it or, um, or remove themselves from it as they like. I did see one slightly unsettling um, profile. This was on MySpace and it's a little bit sometimes hard when you're doing a content analysis to know exactly what's going on. After all, you can only see what's there. And unless you email someone and ask them some specific questions, you have to kind of fill in the pieces. But this was a story of a young woman who had died in some perhaps socially questionable circumstances. I believe it was related to um, some issues related to drugs. And um, it was clear that her mother had taken over the My, uh, her MySpace profile. She posted her obituary on this girl's page and whatnot. But there was a comment actually um, left by one of the friends that basically said, where did everyone go? And from what I could tell, there were some gaps in her social network, as if the mother had perhaps pruned people out of the friend list that she associated with, one can maybe guess, the, the means by which her daughter died. In, in those certain cases where either the person passes away from drugs or even suicide, is there a filter like that you can see or, or a perceived filter that you can see within the comments? Like certainly after death, there is the I mean, in, in life, we see on Facebook the tendency for certain, you know, virtual feuds to pop up uh, conflicting information about certain things. I mean, we, you have sites like Lame Book and like Fail Book and all these things that categorize sure. these arguments. Do you still see these kind of situations popping up after death, or is there that kind of, uh, you know, graveside? I, I I can't quite put the term to it, but I I, I think you follow that yeah. that attitude of okay, let's back off now. Sure, the space becomes respectful very quickly. Um, while before someone dies, it might be a place for, you know casual or intentionally offensive language and you know the posting of ridiculous photos it becomes really somber very quickly on both MySpace and Facebook um, following some following the death of someone when we were interviewing people something that became clear is that the audience you presume will see the content that you're posting day to day in your Facebook profile is not the content that you is not the same audience that you think about when posting content after someone dies namely family members get involved and you want to be respectful of those who are grieving there were questions about who is grieving am i grieving what does it mean to be grieving and even if i am grieving should i be imposing my um, my issues into this uh, into this space and do, would i be disrupting other people's experience of this space so kind of there's a lot of issues around what does this space become, particularly the, the Facebook wall, um, and who is it serving, and would I be offending someone? So mostly in your, in your research and your findings, you found that th th there is that respect, which may or may not have been absent uh, beforehand, but it, it, it does seem like a natural sort of an evolution rather than something perhaps forced by moderation. Well, in terms of the content, um, absolutely. Although... I suspect that um, 
and a couple of my uh, a couple of the people I've interviewed have talked about this that sometimes the ambiguities around the space and being uncertain about who might read it or what it might mean um, after someone dies actually prevents people from participating sometimes. Um, so let's I, before we move on, I, I really want to talk about this this term that you coined in your paper, uh, techno spirituality. Oh, that's certainly not my term. Um, that's a term that was first introduced by Genevieve Bell, and she's a, she's a trained anthropologist who actually now works um, at Intel Research. And she's been studying technology, and particularly mobile phones, um, in a variety of cultural contexts for many, many years. And, and she, um, she coined it actually in a delightful paper entitled, No More SMS for Jesus. So... In in that sense, uh, what are some of the things that you found in regards to spirituality, uh, virtual spirituality, I should say? Uh, because, I mean, it, as it is, there is also already, like within Facebook and MySpace, that sort of a virtual spiritual movement. You see Facebook statuses all the time, post this 10 times or, or again, good things will happen to you. If you love God, then do this. Um, with death, how does that culture change? How is it the same? Or more or less, how, what is that culture? How does the culture of techno-spirituality affected by death. Sure. Well, when Genevieve Bell um, presents this term, she's specifically interested in the ways in which our technology use and basically our technology lives and our spiritual lives get bound up in each other. So for uh, a very um, simple example from her paper is the use of cell phones to help um, Muslims remember when it's time to pray. Hmm. So in our experiences, uh, a lot of the content we were seeing, a lot of the posts on MySpace are very, there, there's certainly a lot of religious overtones to them or spiritual overtones. A lot of references to angels, a lot of references to heaven. It's a little bit unclear to us still what people actually believe as compared to what they're just saying. Um, we say all kinds of things um, and certainly notions of, you know, you will always be in, be in our hearts. We will remember you forever. Heaven has another angel. These are common ways of talking when we're dealing with death, um, regardless of what we might actually, uh, what p opinion we might actually have when it comes to our own religious practices. And it, it does stay here that you can actually tell based on the kind of comments that are being posted, the kind of spirituality it is in terms of the religious backgrounds. This is also kind of enabled by the fact that there's a religious status label, although it's not, again, perhaps the most reliable, uh, the reliable way to figure out what someone's religion is. One of actually something that really um, struck me on MySpace, but uh, I haven't had a chance to go look back at it. I think that religion is a is a it is a big enough issue that we have not quite yet tackled it. Um, but one thing that when I was doing my original analysis of MySpace that I noticed is that particularly with um, with young Asians living in the Pacific Bay, uh, like uh, living in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, um, there were a lot of references to going to visit you. Like uh, to give an example, someone would post a, uh, a MySpace comment that wouldn't talk about, oh, I'm visiting you now, but would say something like, I'm planning on visiting you next week. And of course, they were talking about the grave, but it was an interesting kind of um, way of referencing where someone is um, and how um, MySpace was fitting into these users' thoughts about visiting that person. That 
that MySpace was certainly a way of visiting them, but to actually visit them would be to go to a graveyard that seemed, at least in what we saw, very particular to um, that space. But of course, this is something that we need to research more. But you have seen this, like there is a physical connection there, or, or have you seen the ties back to the physical world? Oh, absolutely. Um, in no way is this, in no way is is are these kind of practices replacing um, funeral and memorial practices. If anything, they're augmenting them. Uh, they're they're expanding them, and uh, in 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 sometimes in ways that like only a site like Facebook could do. So. For example, one um, one interviewee told me about um, a scenario in which someone had died, but the um, but the, the newspaper had screwed up some of the details about the funeral, and that they used Facebook to communicate with the relevant social network about this screw up and please show up at this time and not that time. Um, so in that way, you can actually see it as being perhaps a little bit superior to um, a funeral notice but only because of it being interactive. Right. Um, yeah, so um, that's a good example. Another, another thing that uh, we're finding is that death in general engages a social network around the person who has died. So we see people posting on, uh, people who are survivors posting on each other's um, comments. I was, so glad, I was so glad to see you last week. I wish it could have been under better circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of ways in which these, um, in which, uh, these kind of practices are linking back and I guess you could say are sitting in a kind of an ecology of death-related practices. Interesting. So let's, in, let's see, um, I'm trying to put my questions together. I always do this. I'm trying to think of the question, but in my mind, it just falls apart on me. Um, uh, so with that whole physical, uh, that's what it was, um, revelations, like corrections. Um, when you, w with the death on the online, in the social space, there is the opportunity for confession. Obviously, there's the chance for people to not only talk about the things they wish they could have said, they can come in and correct things. I know I had a friend of mine who uh, took his own life in high school, and a fan, a page was erected on Facebook that was about him, but it was written by someone who really didn't know them, know him, and it was built around this idea that oh, he was a lonely, sad person, and if you could just reach out to someone like that, you could save a life. And I remember I and my friends reacted very angrily because like that that's really not what was going on here. There was a, there was issues with antidepressants and some really bad medication, a bad possibly a bad reaction to medication. More than anything, the fact that we really didn't know what happened, we didn't like the idea that someone else was trying to make an assumption. Sure. This kind of sits at the center of that issue of who gets to speak for you when you're dead. For example, all these people are posting comments on people's walls, but you and I can moderate our Facebook pages by, frankly, deleting obnoxious things posted by people that you know that we find offensive for whatever reason. But that's not an option when um, someone's dead. And in general, people seem to be—they're concerned about this, and they—they they want to be respectful. But perhaps more than like resolving an issue around perhaps a poor representation, we found a lot of people telling us that they really enjoyed the memories that were shared by. Uh, by other people in the social network. This is particularly true of people who were a little bit older, and by a little bit older I mean maybe 
upper 20s and into their 30s. Basically, people who had had the chance to lose touch with people. Um, there was a story given us to us by one woman who, um, who talked about setting up a Facebook group and really enjoying being able to see different parts of someone who was um, her high school boyfriend, seeing what he was like in his 20s and what he was like in his 30s, and getting to see other people share memories and share details from his life that maybe you couldn't get from a simple Facebook profile, but that allowed her to gain kind of a renewed appreciation, not only for who he had been and her memories of her, of him, but also who he, who he had become. How how often do those kind of things go? Because we know the online universe cannot isn't always squeaky clean. Uh, there's a lot of dirt there too. Sure. Uh, we there is that whole good side where you can get a lot of the good things out of a person. How often does do things surface that may not be so uh, flattering? You know, I'm I'm not I'm not certain about necessarily unflattering things. Um, People, people are pretty careful, although it's worth mentioning that, you know, a whole number of companies have popped up over recent years to do what's often called identity management. And these are companies that will kind of go through various places on the web and make sure that people are only speaking positive, nice things about you. Um, but the lot, a lot of the people we interviewed are certainly concerned about people saying bad things. One of the people, one of the women I interviewed talked about she, she explained that if you leave the Facebook wall open after death, she kind of thinks that it just should be disabled when someone dies, um, that you're kind of asking for trouble. Right. It's like leaving a blank wall and putting some spray, spray, um, spray paint cans around there. And, you know, you're just you're just begging for someone to do something kind of um, nasty. I've not seen a lot of that. But I've also seen a pretty big diversity of um, behavior. And people have different ways of evaluating what they think is appropriate or not. Right. Some people believe that, like, for example, that same woman uh, thinks uh, there's a lovely moment uh, when we were interviewing her where she just said, I don't think death is ever appropriate on Facebook. And when my friends die, I delete them. Uh, and that's certainly one, um, one perspective. Uh, another woman was telling us that when her, she saw her friends posting these kind of comments, that she, she was really conflicted about, you know, following suit and doing the same. She kind of felt that that was a cheap way to celebrate someone's life. So there, there are definitely some concerns about what's the appropriate thing to do. But as, uh, as for like straight out uh, malicious behavior, I haven't seen too much of that. Well, that's good to know. I mean, there are other forms where that happens. I think the most uh, poignant example to me is, I'm, I'm not sure if you are familiar with this, but there was a uh, member in uh, World of Warcraft, the game, mm -hmm. and he had passed, and they had tried to do some sort of a in living memorial. They logged into his account. Right. People could come up and say, you know, what a good guy he was. Right. And some guild came through, crashed the party, and killed everyone. Sure. I, are you familiar with the story? I am. I am. I think it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting comparison and one that's worth considering. Um there's a book that just came out called The Facebook Effect, and in it the author talks about the success of Facebook being linked to the fact that these were not pretend identities that we're putting online. These are actually us. And it'd be curious, I, I'm not certain, but it'd be interesting to think about whether someone's willingness to just, you know, essentially troll a funeral on uh, World of Warcraft uh, is in part due to the fact that people are playing characters. No one's, you know, 
someone actually has died, but in this case, no one will die. That's not to say that it isn't uh, wildly insensitive. However, as you bring that up, I it did remind me that there actually are some scenarios in which there is some massive insensitivity going on, but it's typically not people who are doing it. It's the technology. For example, um, on MySpace, spam is a really big problem. Mm -hmm. If there isn't a grave tender, these sites become really full of like automated spam telling the deceased that they need to show up at this awesome club to get their two dollar you know rail drinks this Saturday or else you know they're I don't know not going to be the talk of the town so there's some definitely some weird uh, lack of context in a scenario like that um, perhaps even um, a little bit more dramatic is the um, issue revolving around Facebook's reconnect scenario do talk about that. Um, in your paper, you talk about it and some of the more awkward situations that can come out of the whole reconnect uh, scenario. Sure. And now, even, I, I don't know if you've done any research on this, but the new edition of the Sea Friendship mm-hmm. uh, for Facebook, where you can, Facebook picks out the picture that seems to build your friendship the best. How are these kind of things co- sort of um, either adding or detract? Actually, before I say that, I should mention we're at the 30 mark. Um, this is 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. You're listening to Tech Talk. My name is Kumar. I'm talking to Jed Brubrocker. He is a PhD student in informatics, mm-hmm. uh, doing some really interesting research into social networks, death on the social networks, connections on the social network. Uh, we're talking about... Uh, actually, what did I just ask you? Well, we were talking about reconnect. There we go. Uh, Facebook reconnect and how that kind of causes some interesting things to happen after uh, post-mortem online. Sure, so sure. do continue. I'm sorry. No, not a problem. Well, so Facebook does more than just collect information about us and present it back to us. It also is figuring out how to make that information more meaningful to us. And one of the ways in which they do this is you mentioned these uh, the uh, the recent edition of photo memories. Uh, this has nothing to do with death, but is kind of related in the same way. Uh, these photo memories kind of pick out some scenario in which you have been tagged with a certain friend of yours um, and put them in the upper right hand corner and apparently it took them a couple weeks after they launched it to realize that it might not be a good idea to show you photo memories of anyone who might be your ex so there were this there was this issue of presenting people you know pictures of them with their ex boyfriend ex girlfriend ex whoever um, as you know and users obviously found this somewhat upsetting Reconnect was a was actually launched about a year ago. Uh, Reconnect was a 